0: Thank you so much, ladies, and great teachers in our school. Thank God for all the teachers in our school and the ability God uses them. Uh, Judges chapter 21, if you will, Judges 21, the last chapter in Judges. That will be the the concluding message, if you will, for Judges. It uh, started in last November, so 10 months, about, uh, 31 messages or so, and thankful for what we've learned through it. And of course, as we continue on uh, through Ruth, which is really the epilogue, uh, if you will, of the, of the message, of, of the, the book written by Samuel, and looking forward to moving forward. Uh, but don't want to miss out on what God has for us today. If you're physically able to, if you could stand to your feet, we'll read just the first six verses of Judges 21. We'll go through uh, all of the verses here as, as, through the course of the message. Uh, But we'll just do with the first six this morning, which will be kind of the first point. Now the men of Israel had sworn in Mizpah, saying, There shall not any of us give his daughter unto Benjamin to wife. And the people came to the house of God and abode there still, even before God, and lifted up their voices and wept sore, and said, O Lord God of Israel, why is this come to pass in Israel, that there should be today one tribe lacking in Israel? And it came to pass on the morrow that the people rose early, And built there an altar, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. The children of Israel said, Who is there among all the tribes of Israel that came not up with the congregation to the Lord? For they had made an oath, a great oath, concerning him that came not up to the Lord to Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. And the children of Israel repented them for Benjamin, their brother, and said, There is one tribe cut off from Israel This day. And let's pray, Lord, we sure do love you. Thank you so much for loving us. You certainly are a great God. Lord, we come to you today realizing we are nothing. Without you, we can do nothing. But we're thankful for you, your power, your might. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can be challenged and helped. Lord, already you've ministered to our hearts. We sought to worship you through our singing, through our giving, through our fellowship time, and now through the preaching of your word. Be with those who are online joining us. May they know they're loved and cared for and appreciated. Be with those in the nursery and the children, the teens, junior high and all that's going on right now. I pray that you will meet with us like only you can. May we come with hearts ready. May we learn, Lord, the effects of doing what's right in our own eyes and may we instead learn to filter them through you and your word and your principles you give us and scriptures. Lord, that will save us and will help us, Lord, become wise and not do foolish things. We sure do love you, Lord. Thank you so much for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Once again, I appreciate your faithfulness here in the summer months. Thank you for visiting with us. Thank you for coming. We're so glad you're here. We want to get to know you if we can, if you would allow us to. But thank you for being here. Uh, There was a little boy. He was overheard talking to himself one day. He grabbed his bat and his ball cap, his glove and his baseball and he went out to the backyard and he was over here, heard saying to himself, I am the greatest hitter in all the world. He picked up that ball, grabbed his bat, threw it in the air and swung with all his might and got nothing but air. (sighs) He sighed and brushed himself off, got up again and said, I'm the greatest hitter in all the world. And threw it up and swung with all his might. got nothing but air and actually fell over this time. Picked himself up and he got some dust on it and tried to get the sweaty palms out. And once again, he says, I'm the greatest hitter in all the world. And threw it in the air and swung with all his might and missed everything. He took his hat and beat his knee and took his glove and beat on his leg a little bit. And he was heard saying this, wow. I'm the greatest pitcher in all the world. <laughs> and this morning we have that really in this story, not so much the greatest pitcher or hitter. But we have men and women who look through the glen- lenses of their own eyes, and thought they were doing everything just right. But to the casual observer, and as we'll look through this passage and go on this journey of the story today, we're going to say, ha, you weren't even close. You're so far off. How does that happen? Well, we'll see that this morning. Judges is just as much about the faithfulness of God as it is about the worldliness of God's people. And the people wake up, if you will, in this chapter with a very big load on their shoulders of the price they have to pay for their worldly deeds and fleshly appetites, if you will, in this thing that caused him to do the unthinkable in the last two verses of the last chapter. But before we get into all this, let's get to point number one. If you're writing this morning in your handouts, we have a messy situation, a messy situation. There's an old story of a ship that was traveling across the Mediterranean, and one of the passengers cut a hole on the side of the ship so that he could see better. a sailor came by and says, hey, why'd you do that? It doesn't bother me any. He goes, I cut it below my bed. And you know, that's what's happening here. The water's coming in and sinking the ship of Israel without them really even realizing it. And they have put themselves in such an awful position that now the only way out is really through God's help. But instead of going to God, they lean on their own wisdom. And we see it all happening in verse number one. Now the men of Israel had sworn in Mizpah saying, so in verse number one, we get a picture, we get a, a verse, if you will, of of, of of something that happened last chapter that we didn't know about. So if you remember, they all came to Mizpeth, and they got called together by the Levite who had who dismembered this woman who had passed away, his concubine, and they all came, they're all fighting mad, they're upset, as they should be, and they come back and there's this trial going on, and... Everybody has been invited, every tribe, and even the Benjaminites, where the sons of Belial were, where Gilead was, but they failed to show up, and so the Levite was a star witness, and he paints this picture exactly how he wants it to be painted. And so they get there, they show up, they hear about the story. However, he leaves, that, leaves out some important details. He says the leaders of Gilead, and the men of Gilead, did this, which wasn't true, it was sons of Belial... And so they gives a picture that everybody has done this, when it really is just a few amount of people. The Benjaminites aren't there to defend themselves, so the Levite gets them all. What are we going to do? And there's 400,000 footmen that are there. They're ready to go. They're ready to go to the battle. And so we see here, during this time, the Levite paints this picture, and there must have been a few oaths that were given at this time, a few vows. In verse number... One, we see they they made a vow saying, there shall not any of us give his daughter unto Benjamin to wife. So they had made this oath while they were there and that said, hey, we're going to go and take care of these sin and these men who did this. But we're also going to make a vow that none of our daughters will ever marry a Benjamite. And the second oath they made in verse number five is, if you do not agree with us, then you will be destroyed. Wow. So the Benjamites basically can only marry from their own tribe. The problem with that is verse number, the last two verses of last chapter, they destroyed everybody but 600 men. Boys, girls, women, beasts, animals, they, just, they destroyed everything. But 600 men, the reason why they didn't destroy those 600 men was because they could not find them. And so that's kind of where the story's at. So we see a reckless oath. Now keep in mind, when you make these oaths or make these vows, they're very serious and God holds you to them. In fact, a hasty vow leads to trouble. And in fact, God said, you better just not even say it if you can't Come through with it in Proverbs 20, verse 25, that is a snare to the man who devoureth that which is holy after and after vows to make inquiry. So you did not want to make a vow unless you were going to keep it. So what happens? Well, just like in Jephthah's day when he made a vow, that the first person I see when I come back, I will sacrifice to you, Lord, the first thing I see, if we get a victory. Now he did not need to make that vow because God had already promised a victory. But who was the first person he sees? Well, it wasn't a sheep, it wasn't a goat, it wasn't a calf. It was his own daughter, his only daughter. Now, he could have got out of that, as we discovered last time. won't get into all that. But he could have got out of it if he would have paid a tribute to it, to her. But instead, he is so intent on keeping his vow. He does not want this curse. And that, of course, comes from the philosophy of Canaan. Canaan, if you will. canonization. Where this philosophy that this curse, this stuff could happen. And we know that only God is in control of all that. But we see that we learn from this lesson just a quick thing. And that's in Psalms 141 verse 3. It says, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. We learn from that this. May we be careful what we say and what we agree to. Especially with God. May we be careful. And so we see... A reckless oath which leads to regret. Well, in verse number 2, I put there regret without remorse. And you'll see why in verse 2. And the people came to the house of God and abode there till even before God and lifted their voices and wept sore. So, What's happening here is in Mizpah they've made this this vow, if you will, and this oath, and then they go and defeat the Benjaminites. Of course, if you remember, the first two times they get defeated, and then the, uh, over forty some thousand people uh, give their lives, and the third time they actually go to God, they repent. They, they 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 sacrifice. They they ask for forgiveness. They're they're, they're sorry, and God says, "Okay, here you'll we'll win this time." And so they ambushed them. Used a lot of of AI, if you will, tactics, which shows they probably got back into the Word of God. Things were going great. They defeated these men, but then they took it to another level. They let their lust get involved, and they killed almost everyone. They didn't have to do that, and because of that, they wake up four months later realizing almost a whole tribe of Benjamin has been washed out. Literally a twelfth of our country is gone. And that's not good, because God had this blessing for all the tribes. And Benjamin, of course, was a favorite of Jacob, if you remember. And that's a whole other story. I won't get into all that. If you want to research that out, it's, it's pretty fascinating. But they do not want Benjamin to be gone. So what are we going to do? Well, if you know anything about uh, the course of life... 600 men aren't going to repopulate anything, right? And all the women can't come because they made a vow that we're not going to give any of our daughters to Benjamin. We can't break that vow. And so what happens? Well, we see regret without remorse because the Bible says they abode till even before God and lifted up their voices and wept sore. When we have a hasty action carried out apart from seeking God's will, it's always a recipe for disaster. And that's what happens here. They are regretful for what they did, but they're not remorseful for it. Have you ever been there before? Something didn't go as planned because you didn't do right. You know? Maybe it's these little blue and red lights behind you, you know? And you realize you're going a little too fast. And your regret... And you say, ah, but then how long is it again until you're speeding again, right? And uh, no one likes the regret, but we need the remorse as well, right? And so we see the regret without remorse. And then we see in verse 3 some ridiculous questions. You guys would all know the answer to this. And said, O Lord God of Israel, why is this come to pass in Israel? That there should be today one tribe lacking in Israel. Now, if you were here last week, you know the answer to this question. These leaders aren't very bright. They're, they're asking God, God, why did this happen? We all could tell them, right? Because you followed your lust and you killed way too many people. And what we see here is a, is a group of people that are blaming God. It is typical of sinful humans to insist on having things their own way and then to blame God when they don't like the results. As one person said, it is easier to put God in the wrong than to engage in self-reflection. So though this tribe, they know what's wrong. They know why they did it. They know why they're in this trouble, but they do not want to admit that it was their fault. If you have children, you know a little bit about this. He hid me! What? What? Johnny, why would you hit him? Because he pulled my hair! You know, oh, okay. And how oftentimes do we know it's our fault, but God is so much easier to blame than us actually reevaluate ourselves? How many times in our country, in our world today, even in our lives, can we end up blaming God for the effects of the sin that we did? And so we see this turns into religious rites. So though they're blaming God, though they're asking God what happened. Now they decide to, to worship, if you will. They decide to kind of become religious in verse four. And it came to pass on the morrow. The people rose early and built there an altar and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. It's not a bad thing to do, but they're doing it. Of course, we don't see anything about Phineas being there. The very person they helped them get a hold of God in the last chapter, but he is not mentioned here. The children of Israel said, Who is there among all the tribes of Israel that came not up with the congregation unto the Lord? So instead of putting up sacrifices, and instead of repenting, instead of fasting, instead of weeping, instead of giving a hold of God, they just simply do this sacrifice, this religious exercise, if you will. And then instead of going to God, they start thinking in their minds, how can we fix this problem? And the children of Israel repented, number six, for Benjamin, their brother, and said, there is one tribe cut off from Israel this day. So they're, they're, we see this religious exercise they're doing. And then that brings them to a messy solution. So if you're writing number two, a messy solution. A messy solution. So we see a messy situation that they created. We can also create messy situations. But instead of going to God, as we'll see here in a little bit, and trying to fix this messy uh, situation, they decide to make it even messier with their own solution. So verse number 7 says, How shall we do for wives for them that remain? So now they start to think, we've got to save this tribe. I mean, this tribe's going to be cut off, so what do we got to do? Well, we can't just leave those 600 men because that tribe's not going to grow at all. Eventually they're going to all die. So we've got to get them some wives. We've got to do this. But how are we going to do this? We made this vow. We made this oath. We cannot give any of our children. Anybody that does, we have to destroy them. Uh, It didn't dawn on them that they made a stupid rash vow. And they just need to go to God and, and get it right and figure out what they got to do. But instead, they are so intent on their own solutions that they do not go to God. And so they ask the question in verse seven, how shall we do? Not God, what should we do? I just want to say here this morning, church, and me as well, why is it so hard to say, God, what should we do? And then wait on him. Why is it so hard? But yet it's so easy for us to say, hey, what are we going to do? Well, let's just do it. Wait a minute here. Have we lost the voice of God? Have we lost waiting on God to direct us? I was listening to a message this week on how the Israelites had to follow that cloud. They had to go as fast as that cloud went. But How many times do we want to run run ahead of the cloud? We want to do things our way. And God says, wait a minute here. You're going to make the solution messier. Jeremiah talked about this in Jeremiah 2.13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, they're trying to fix things and it's not doing any better. They're not accomplishing anything. And the thought here is, may we all be warned. May we run to God's word. May we seek his face. May we confess sin and may we be willing to repent. Why? Well, Micah 6, 8 tells us why. He has showed the old man what is good. God wants to show you what is good. He wants to show you what is required of you. And what is that? To do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with thy God. You realize this morning that God wants to show you what to do. You may find yourself in a messy situation. Please don't run to the world and get your situation messier with their solution. Instead, repent, get a hold of God, pray, and follow what God would have you do. So we see, first of all, a messy situation, a messy solution, which turns into human reasoning. Verse number 8. And they said, what, is, what one is there of the tribes of Israel that came not to Mizpah the Lord? So here's what they do. These leaders get together and say, okay, we've got to figure this out. We've got to get some wives for this man. So the only way we can do this is uh, we can't go to Cana. We can't go to Canaan, uh, We can't go to the world. We've got to get someone here in our group. Maybe someone says from the back, hey, have you checked the roll? Maybe someone didn't come of the tribes and we could go and get them from them. That's what they do. Verse number nine. The Bible says Therefore, the people were numbered. Behold, there were none of the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead there. They finally find in the roll some tribe, some city that did not show up to this trial and did not make the oath. Ah. Peter said. Ha, ha, ha. Now we know where to get a solution for these men to get some wives. Well, the Bible says there in verse number 10, we see not only human reasoning, but we see a human wrecking. The Bible says, And the congregation sent thither 12,000 men of the valiants and commanded them, saying, Go and smite the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the edge of the sword. Now it's important to understand where Jabesh Gilead is. Jabesh-Gilead is on the very edge of Israel, the border. It's over on the, I believe, on the west side of Jordan. It's really as far away as you can get from the center here of Israel, from even the Benjamites from Gilead, which is really Mizpah There is really the center, if you will. And and, and it's a long way away. Perhaps maybe they never heard of the meeting. We don't know. But for whatever reason, they didn't show up. And instead of going to that and saying, Hey, can we have 400... Or when we have six hundred wives, they say, "Hey, let's just take twelve thousand of valiant men and let's just destroy them and find the virgins." Now the Bible says in verse number eleven, "And this is the thing that ye shall do: you shall utterly destroy every male and every woman that lain by man." Isn't this a little bit about the thing they did in the last two verses of chapter twenty that got them into this mess? You would think after now, they're realizing their solutions is not working. But yet, as man will do, we revert back to our fleshly ways, right? It's interesting, the Bible says utterly destroy. That phrase is found in Joshua 14 times. And every time it's found, it is talking about to totally destroy the Canaanites, never the Israelites. And so instead of destroying the Canaanites, which they were commanded to do, they instead destroy their very own people. Not just once, but twice now. So, verse number 12, And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead 400 young virgins. Oh, no! We needed how many? 600. We only find 400. that had not known man by living with any male, and they brought them into the camp to Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. So instead of seeking a solution from God, they resort to human reasoning. Now, I know we've never done that, have we? Well, I know I have. Tragedy is they're more zealous, they're more faithful. The tragedy of all this is they're more zealous and faithful to do what their man-made thing was than to actually be just as zealous, if not more so, to fulfill the covenant of God in their life. How oftentimes do we see religious people so committed to man-made things? You know, I'm, I'm from Midwest Indiana, And uh, our community has over 12,000 Amish. It's the third largest Amish settlement in the U.S. And I grew up next door to Amish. In fact, about 30 of them work uh, for my dad in the popcorn uh, company. They grow. And and I got to watch them. I got to see. We talked and found out how unusual they do things. And how many times have I asked them, why do you do that? I don't know. So one of, the pre, one of them said to do it. So we can't have zippers. We just got to have buttons and hooks. Oh, oh. Does that make you, I don't know why they do it. You know. And I could go, and that's not what this message is about, but I could go all over the place on that. But the point I'm getting at is how oftentimes can we get so committed to man-made things, but yet how weak we are to the covenant of God in our life and to his word. And so we see that's what happens here. What do they do? They brought the Benjaminites around and says, Hey Benjamin, come on over here. Oh, are you sure about that? You're gonna to try to kill us? No, 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 come here. By the way, if you'll come, we'll get you a wife. Oh, okay. So they come in verse fifteen, the people repented them for Benjamin, because that the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. This would have been the perfect time. And they're repenting, if you will, their sadness to get right with God. But instead, they realize they don't have enough virgins, so we've got to do something else. Verse number 16. And the elders of the congregation said, How shall we do? For wives, for them that remain, seeing the women are destroyed out of Benjamin. Once again, they still haven't asked God. They say, How shall we do? Well, the first time when they asked that question, it didn't quite pan out very well. They ended up uh, destroying a whole community of their own people. Now they think of a different plan. Verse 17, can you imagine the leaders getting together again? Okay, what can we do? How do we get these last 200? And they said, there must be an inheritance for them that be escaped of Benjamin, that a tribe be not destroyed out of Israel. Howbeit we may not give them wives of our daughters, for the children of Israel have sworn, saying, Cursed be he that giveth the wife to Benjamin. Then they said, Behold, there is a feast to the Lord in Shiloh. Now we won't read all this, but here's basically what happened. They say we cannot give, knowingly, our daughters to them. But what if we tell the Benjamites to take them? We aren't going to give them, they will take them from us. How messed up is that? All to make sure they keep this oath and this rash vow perfect. Ah, could you imagine being the leader that sits there and says, Hey, I got an idea. We can't give them, but they can take it from us. What a brilliant idea. And then someone pipes up from the back, and you can read this the next few verses. What about the dads and brothers who come and say, Hey! We don't want to die and be cursed from this rash vow for giving our daughters. And we will say, you didn't give them. They were taken from you, so it's okay. What twistedness. Could you imagine, I have a daughter, if someone stole my daughter and I were to say, oh no, why did you steal her? I'm going to get cursed now. I wouldn't say that. I would say, you better give that daughter back to me. I don't care what you say about me or you curse. I don't care. I'll take you out, you know. And so we see that this continues to get more and more messy. And the Bible says, therefore, ye did not give them unto them at this time, verse 22, that ye should be guilty. And so the Bible says in verse 23, and the children of Benjamin did so and took them wives. So, how did this happen? Well, Shiloh, of course we know, is where they would worship. That was where the the Ark of the Covenant was. Um, As we'll look at next week, Bethel was actually a place where they got along with God last week. And uh, uh, but this was where they worshipped. So they would have this spring feast every year, and this would be the marriage feast. And all the ladies that were single would come that were going to get married, and then all the daughters and all their sisters, and they would also come those who were maybe not ready to get married yet, but they were they were getting closer. And they would celebrate, and they'd have this feast, they'd have this dance. And during that time, the leaders of Israel said, "All right, Benjamin, you the last two hundred, come here. You want to get your wife." We won't just give them to you, but you've got to take them. But you can take your pick, and it'll be okay. And so that's what happens. The dancing's going on. They take these ladies, and it's interesting because the Jabesh Gilead ones were taken from blood and uh, uh, basically killing, and the other ones were taken by being kidnapped. Now, isn't that, and essentially becoming their wife, whether they wanted to or not? Now, how different is that? from the sons of Belial that took the concubine without her wanting to be taken and laying with her that she didn't want to be laid with. How, that's the same thing. And now the leaders of Israel who are so upset about it, we're going to kill the Benjaminites now because of their own eyes and their own ideas And Hey, We're going to enable you to do the very thing that we killed you for. <laughs> I know that's oddly humorous, but it's so distorted and wrong, isn't it? Why are we going through all this? Well, the point is simply this. When you're looking through your own eyes and you have no moral compass, you have no vantage point that you can look to and nothing that directs you, you're kind of like a ship without an anchor that just kind of floats. And you end up going on a course and before you know it, you're way out in left field. How does that happen? Everyone doing that which is right in their own eyes. John Paul Sartre said this, finite man is meaningless without an infinite reference point. Without a clear reference point, you, you, you're worthless. You're not going to be able to do the purpose God has for you. I'm try to explain it this, this way, and I'm going to hurry. Several years ago, I took a group of our teenagers in Turlock to a corn maze. You know, I'm I'm literally... Uh, I grew up in the corn, okay, and so this is my thing, Pastor Justin's not going to get lost, don't worry, all right, I got you, there's not a corn maze I can't defeat, but for whatever reason, I was getting turned around, and I was making a fool out of myself, and I was trying to play it off, and those not-so-bright teenagers didn't catch on at first, but after a while, they knew. And they said, "Pastor Justin, you're lost, aren't you?" I'm never lost. We're just taking the scenic route, okay. Finally, after the third or fourth time of going the wrong I said, "Okay. I grew up in Indiana. And I've been in thousands not thousands of cornfields, but I've been in a lot. And there's one thing about every cornfield, eventually it ends." And so I looked in the middle at the little tower thing, and one side was a little more faded than the rest. And I looked over to my left, and I saw the tip of the barn that, uh, uh, where you started. I said, all right, guys. I said, we, we're going to get out of here. Follow me. We started making our own trail. Pastor Justin, we're not supposed to get off the trail. Don't worry. We're going we're to have fun. Now, don't do this on your own, but with Pastor Justin, you can, okay? Okay. <laughs> And before long, we walked out of the cornfield, not even close to the finish line. But we got out. But how did we get out? We had the vantage point. And folks, I just want to encourage you today. If you don't have God's word as your guide, if you don't have a walk with God as your guide, if you don't have the church, if you don't have people who you're allowed to speak into your life and counsel you, If you're 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 by yourself on your own little island, eventually you're going to end up like this story. But let me encourage you today to find a point that you can focus on. And when dark days come, when circumstances affect you, when your relationships go south, when days are hard, if you will ground yourself on the absolutes of God's word, You'll be OK, but if you don't, you're going to end up doing what is right in your own eyes. Second Peter 2:19 says, while they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome of the same as he brought in bondage. The only certain basis for morality is the character and the word of God. Uh, if you think with me, if you will. Maybe you're sitting in your f- plane, about ready to take off. You're in your 747, and uh, you're you're buckled in. You've heard the little video, you know. You know how to put your mask on, how to put on your ch- you know. You know that your seat is a flotation device. You know, you've actually taken and tied the buckle. You know, you've actually put your phone on airplane mode. You know, you're ready. And the announcer comes up and says, "Okay, we're going to do a little poll here, so we can get going. How many think it's?" Time to take off. How many think it's safe to take off? Half the people raise their hand. And then the announcer gets up and says, Okay, we got to split this difference. Who thinks it's time to take off? And two people raise their hand. Okay, let's go. You're going to be sitting there saying, Whoa, 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 wait a minute here. What does the control tower have to say? Ah, don't worry about that. <laughs> You guys are good. You guys know what you're doing, right? It's going to be fine. And folks, that's what happens in our life. When we try to navigate life through our vision, when we do that which is right in our own eyes, contrary to Scripture, contrary to what God's Word uh, uh, teaches us, the Spirit's moving in our life, we're going to have certain destruction. Which brings us to number four, and we've got to finish. We see the Messiah's salvation. Messiah's salvation. One commentary alluded to the fact that as bad as this has gotten, we still see the grace of God. God could have destroyed them all, but he had made a covenant with them. May I say, we are all destined to destruction. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short. The glory of God. Even at our best, we're still sinners. The only way to pay for our sin is, the wage of sin is death. And we see this morning, number one, if you're writing, we need a deliverer who'll come without being called for since we aren't really seeking God. Do you realize this morning without a savior, we would be in a mess? Why? Because it doesn't, it, we're, not, we're not seeking God on our own. We need a Savior. We need someone who's willing to come for us. Number two, we see that in Romans 3.11. There is none that seeketh after God. Second 2 Timothy 2.13. If we believe not yet, he abideth faithful. Even when we struggle, even when we are searching, without Christ coming, we had no hope. This deliverer will have to do it all for himself. Number two, since we aren't able to contribute anything to our salvation. The Bible says there, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love worth he loved us. Even when we are dead in sins, hath quickened us together. For by grace you saved. Do you realize this morning that without Christ you have no hope? Without the gift of salvation, we have no hope. Which brings us to number three. This deliverer will save us through his weakness. What do you mean? There's a victorious defeat through his death. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 talks about that. Well, this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Made himself of no reputation, took upon the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. But he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, things of heaven and earth, things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you realize this morning that you have no hope without Christ? And you must, through his defeat, if you will, the cross we see through his, the risen Savior, we see that he conquered death, hell, and the grave. Which brings us to number four. We need a king who can purge us of evil. Psalms 96, 11 through 13. Before the Lord he cometh, he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Whether you like it or not, we live in a world today that eventually is going to be corrupted and eventually going to just have no hope but if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior he's going to come and call us up to heaven won't that be wonderful and then he's going to come back again and straighten everything out and if you're saved we could come back with him amen but you realize this morning that if you do not have Christ as your Lord and Savior you you have no hope sin is keeping you from God but through Jesus Christ, our Lord, by accepting of that free gift of salvation in your life, you can know for sure you're going to heaven. The church, I want to encourage you this morning. Do you realize you need a Savior in your life? Do you realize you need Jesus Christ? And if you don't, come to him today. But second of all, maybe you're sitting here today and you are, find yourself in a messy situation. Stop, stop trying to fix that situation through messy solutions, but instead give it to God and follow his word and his leading. And third of all, you may feel overwhelmed. You see the children of Israel just kind of went about their business like nothing ever happened. But may may we see that's what happens in our life. We kind of get so accustomed to what we do wrong that we think it's actually right. And that's the mess we get ourselves in. So may we stay clean and pure with God on a daily basis and spend time with Him. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Maybe there's someone who would say, Pastor Justin, that's me. I, I'll be honest with you. I I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven. I, I didn't realize what my sin is doing, and I need Jesus in my life. I mean, I've tried to do right. I've tried to do my best. I've even gone to church, but I realize... My sin is keeping me from God. And I need Jesus in my life. With heads bowed and eyes closed, how many would say, Pastor Justin, will you pray for me? I need Jesus in my heart today. I need to accept him in my life. I need to know for sure that I'm going to heaven when I die. Will you pray for me? With heads bowed and eyes closed, I won't embarrass you. I won't point you out. I just want to observe you in prayer. If that's you, will you slip up your hand? I need Jesus in my life. Anybody today? Anybody? You say, Pastor Justin, I need to know for sure I'm going to heaven. Maybe you know for sure you're going to heaven. But how many today would say, Pastor Justin, I am saved, but I'm kind of created a messy situation in my life because of my flesh and sin and my life. And today God convicted me to stop trying to solve it on my own but I want to give it to God today. I'm going to follow His word. If that's you today, will you slip your hand? I want to pray for you. God bless you. I see those hands. Maybe there's someone that would say, Pastor Justin, uh, I've been a part of a messy solution, and I've learned today that when you go down that path, you keep on doing more and more messy solutions. So I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to do it. right to my own eyes. I want to follow God's leading in my life. If that's you this morning, will you raise up your hand? I want to pray for you. God bless you. Last but not least, maybe there's someone today that would say, Pastor Justin, I have a burden I'm bearing today. I have a health issue. I have a physical need. I have a spiritual need. I have a relationship struggle. Something's going on in my life and I just need you to pray for me. If that's you, will you slip up your hand real quick? I want to pray for you. Wow, all over. Lord, you see the hands. You know the hearts. Lord, I'm just a man. Lord, but you are the master of the sea. You only cattle on a thousand hills. You are a good God. You're all powerful. You're all knowing. Lord, you're everything we need. So I humbly come to you with these requests of people who raise their hand. Lord, I pray that you will help them touch their body, touch their area, touch their world. Be with those who have created a messy situation in our life, not intentionally, they just found themselves there. And Lord, they want to give it to you. I pray you'll help them to do that. Be with those who are in the middle of a messy solution. Lord, they, they decided they want to submit to you and give it to you and follow your will and allow you to fix it. Sin can tie and not only God can do. And so I pray that you'll do that for them today. I pray you'll bless this invitation time, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you could stand to your feet, the piano's going to play. Maybe God's touched your heart today. As we learn from this last message of Judges, people just screwing up so much. After last chapter getting it all right, they get themselves in such a mess. Maybe you feel yourself there today. I encourage you to come. We'd love to pray with you. We won't judge. It's not our job here. We're going to help point you to the Savior, the one who can help you. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe you'd like to follow them baptism. We've had several do that lately. Maybe you'd like to join the church. Maybe God's touched your heart. You want to join the church. We'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe the Lord's just touched your heart about something. May I encourage you to take a moment and pray with him. Don't leave today without getting it taken care of with God. It's not worth it. Just give it to God. He wants to take it from you. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you so much for being faithful and listening so intently we're going to show a video of some upcoming events and we'll get you out right on time um, i'll meet you in the back afterwards i want to shake your hand if i could yes thank you for coming we have a little gift for you we want to let you know how much we appreciate it now let's watch the video this time Good morning and thank you for joining us today. We hope this morning's service was a blessing to you. Join us tonight at 5 for our Level Up Teaching and Training modules. Come and choose two of the modules on various topics from the lineup. Don't miss this special time of training with something new for every Christian. Grandview Christian Academy's Open House is Tuesday, August 29th. Families with the last name starting with A through K will meet beginning at 4.45 p.m. Start off in the gym, explore your child's classroom, and then meet for an assembly in the auditorium. For families with last names starting with L through Z, meet at 6.45 p.m. for an assembly in the auditorium. Awanas will be starting back up on Wednesday, September 6. Every week, the children will get to play games and get prizes for completing workbooks and scripture memory. Throughout the year, there are fun themed nights where the kids can dress up according to the theme. Awana's is for children 2 years old through 5th grade. And there is an annual club fee of $40 or $20 if the children already has a uniform. Mark your calendars for the Churchwide Outreach Saturday, September 2nd at 10.15 a.m. Join us for a delicious breakfast and an opportunity to share your faith in our community. Make plans to join us Sunday morning, September 3rd, as we will be observing the Lord's Supper in the 830 and 11 a.m. service. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out the Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you and you will receive a gift card. Have a great afternoon and we'll see you tonight at 5. and let's pray together father we love you thank you for all you've taught us today from your word thank you for the book of judges and for the many life lessons that we can learn and lord i pray that you would take this thought of of trying to come up with our own solutions to problems and that you would work deeply in our hearts father as we live life and that you would remind us god of the situations where we try to take the reins from you and i pray that you would help us to trust you Lord, to put control back into your hands and to seek you out in the solutions that you offer in the situations we face. And we'll give you the honor and praise for what you do in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.